We made this. Hello everyone and welcome to Without a Mouse, the podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live-action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. As always, I'm Tim and today I am joined again by a very wonderful, very interesting human being. He's a wrestling announcer, he's a humanist celebrant, he's a scout leader, he's the host of the comic book radio show Pull or Pass um, and he also hosts shows on... Our own network, we made this, um, including Life's Milestones, and he's currently hosting Don't Say the C Word, which airs every day of lockdown. It is Mark Adams. Hello, Mark. Hello. You make me sound amazing. Thanks. Uh, Well, as I said on, uh, we recorded the episode for my other podcast, you told me off last time that you were on this show because I hadn't got your uh, intro quite right, so I was determined to get it as spot on as possible this time. (laughs) Well, that was marvellous, thank you. You you did miss the fact that we're launching a new podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network called Shipwrecked and Comatose, which is a Red Dwarf podcast. Well, I don't, I didn't know if uh, how official it was, you know, with these things. I never want to be the first to announce anything in case uh, it's, you know, under wraps. But yes, that is very true. <laughs> I'm very excited about it as well because Red Dwarf's fucking ace. <laughs> yeah, keeping yourself busy during uh, lockdown, aren't you? <laughs> I just want stuff to do. I just don't want to be sat on my arse. Speaking of, this is the first episode of this particular podcast that we have recorded during coronavirus. You've got some news, haven't you, Tim? Well, sort of news or lack of news or anti-news, but if you couldn't guess already, the Disney trip that I was supposed to be going on and have been going on about since the very beginning of this fucking podcast did not happen. Tim, I felt so sorry for you, and particularly when I was listening back to the most recent episodes that you recorded pre-coronavirus, but you aired them during coronavirus. Yeah. It was just, oh, it was so sad, and I was like, oh, poor Tim. I mean, obviously, I can't give you a hug, one, because you live a million miles away, and two, because I can't go there anyway. (laughs) It was such bad timing, like... The day that we were supposed to be travelling to Florida was the day that Disney announced the closure. So it was literally, and at that point they said it was only going to be two weeks, and that's as much as we knew at the time. But literally it was the two weeks of our holiday to the exact day, and it was just so depressing. But we've said, you know, it could have been even worse. We could already have been out there when all of this was going down because we'd seen so many people were you know they'd already traveled to florida to then get trapped at the hotels with nothing to do and having to come back and all of that so it could have been a hell of a lot worse but it's still nonetheless totally shit absolutely and you know everybody has lost something during because of this lockdown and yeah yours was so fucking public that probably everybody you knew knew exactly what you'd lost. Whereas for someone like myself, it's a little bit more subtle in as much as I have some zero-hour contract work that I no longer do. That's dull. 
you've been looking forward to this trip for so long that I think everybody that knows you and all of the listeners to this podcast were just like, oh, fucking Tim. Yeah. But you're... No disrespect to you, but your loss is no bigger or smaller than anyone else's. It's just everybody fucking knew what yours was. Well, I, I do think there are people that have had bigger losses than me. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, deluded in that sense. To be honest, I feel like such an absolute twat that the only thing I had to look forward to and the only thing that was my entire personality for two years was that guy that's going to Disney. And I feel so like with now that the world has changed so much overnight, I feel like such a twat that that was the biggest thing going on in my life. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Everybody's got their big thing that they're looking forward to. A couple of years ago, yeah. I went to WrestleMania with my partner and it was my 40th birthday celebration. So when I knew that your Disney trip was being cancelled, I thought back to how much that meant to me and how much I'd Sorry, how much it was a fucking wonderful trip that I got to experience. And it just made me feel even more sorry for you because I know how you felt. And I got what I was going to have as my dream trip. And you didn't. And, mate, it's just bollocks, 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 bollocks. And don't kick yourself for that because everybody's done it. You just so happen to be the poor fucker who got screwed over. Yeah, it's just put everything into perspective for me a bit more. So, like, you know, going forward, if we ever get to a point where we can look at a Disney trip again, it means that I've realised how that is not healthy to be making that the be-all and end-all of pretty much my entire life at that point. It was the only thing that I had going for me. So the other thing that we mentioned very briefly just before we went live, me and you is that obviously we have technically rearranged our trip for September. Um, we did that before lockdown had even started, but now looking, looking forward, I cannot see that happening either. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? People initially were canceling a, a show and saying, we'll put it on in, in May. Yeah. We're in the middle of, you know, we're in the middle of May and we've got, no end of lockdown in sight because the impression at the start of the lockdown was that it was only going to be for five minutes. It was kind of cute. Oh, let's binge watch some telly. Oh, let's snuggle up. Let's make some jokes. But as it's got to like six weeks, eight weeks, it really is starting to become a reality that this is going to be a change in our lives and something as historically impactful as any of the other famous things that have happened in the 20th century. Yeah. So, again, your, your cancellation at the time was perfect, was under the um, information you had, was the right way to go about it. I've, I've, I've had wrestling yeah. shows that were postponed until a certain date that I've had to postpone again because of the yeah. original advice that we received. Yeah, but it's that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone in every there, there is no future at the moment, is there for anybody? Because you don't know what the future is going to be. Even next year, we don't know what what plans are going to be like. But at the minute, my real hope is that whatever happens, we manage to get our money back. Because I would rather just rebook from scratch in the future. Right now, I can't 
fathom a time where I'm going to be feeling comfortable, even, even after lockdown ends and, you know, international travel is, is a possibility again. We need to be sure personally that we feel safe to, to go and do that holiday. So it's, I think it's going to be years until we're in that position now so hopefully we can that my hope is that lockdown extends up until mid-september which is uh means our holiday will definitely get cancelled and then we should be able to get our money back fingers crossed and that's a weird ass fucking hope to have to isn't it isn't it just but then at least we've got the money back and then we have the deciding power of when we go or if we even go again, I don't know. I'm sure we will, but that it's been so weird for me because I just I can't face looking like even watching Disney vlogs and looking at Disney uh, news sites and things like that. It's Disney's com- gone from the most important thing in my sort of sphere of hobbies to just it's completely gone out of my head. I can't I can't waste any time on it it feels like weirdly do you think that if you get your money back you'll put it in a savings account and then make a decision on when you're going to go to disney or do you think you'll buy something shiny with it to be honest like that's the other thing is if we if we are headed into a depression it might just stay in a a bank account for a rainy day because none of us know what our future is going to look like right now financially Especially I myself, because I, I, I just think you should have something nice with that money because you saved so fucking hard on it. Yeah. Don't just, yeah. just, mate, just blow it. If you're not going to spend it on a Disney holiday, <laughs> fucking blow it. It's a good job you're not a bank advisor, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> I'm a life advisor. We only get one, and fucking hell, just live it. <laughs> Oh, I've just remembered as well, before we actually get to the film, which I'm sure we will eventually, um, some of you might have been <laughs> expecting uh, my friend Dana Galbraith on today, um, where we were going to review the film Kidnapped. Um, but coronavirus strikes again on that one, unfortunately. We were planning to record it last week, but unfortunately, Dana had ordered the DVD of the film because despite being a Disney classic, it's not available on uh, Disney Plus or even on Amazon to stream. So she's had to buy the DVD. And even though she ordered it over a month ago, it still hasn't arrived. To be honest, I was expecting to be on after Dana. So um, this yeah, is news well, to me as well. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've you've been bumped up the scheduling slot, Mark. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so... If people remember from previous episodes, um, we've kind of made Mark our feline consultant on the show. What he's say- what he's saying is, I just really like cats. Yes, that's pretty much it. So, uh, yeah, Mark joined us quite a long time ago. Now it's probably it's about six months ago, I think. If, yeah, if I'd say made- about about six months since we recorded it but he came on to do um the cat from outer space which is a particularly good episode of ours so i would definitely recommend going back and listening to that if you haven't already but this time we are well do you want to introduce it it was your pick well it wasn't really my pick was it Tim? because i wanted to do the 90s one not the 60s one and you told me that we had to do the 60s one well, we seem to have got into a habit on this show of starting with a 90s remake and then going back to the original. So I thought for a change, it would be nice if we start with the original and then maybe one day look at the uh, the, the remake. 
Well, but yes. yeah, we're in, we're in lockdown. What are you doing next week? Do you want to do the remake next week? <laughs> yeah, so we, this time we are reviewing That Darn Cat. So had you seen this before, Mark? I had not. And um, one thing I want to note from the very start is, I've, just out of pure coincidence, within the space of a week, I've reviewed two different films for two different podcasts that were made in 1964. And I watched the other one first. And that was The Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy, which was, <laughs> yeah, exactly, which was a, um, which was a Mexican film. And it yeah. was in black and white. And then I immediately watched That Darn Cat the next day. And I was like, wait a minute, this is in colour. <laughs> so I had, um, I was like, well, what the bloody hell? And I had a conversation with the fellas from SuperTac Film Club that I was reviewing Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy with. And and Hollywood Fletcher knows a lot more about film than I do. And apparently in 1964, quite a lot of places were still using black and white. And it yeah. was almost as if Disney Disney's success was on the fact that they almost monopolised colour film at that time. Yeah, well, it was so much cheaper back then to still use black and white. So it, there is that kind of, it really is that that crossover between the two formats isn't it which went on for quite a long time as well because if you think like um the wizard of oz you're looking at two decades earlier pretty much um mm. so yeah good bit of film history yeah i just found that really interesting that um something of the visual quality of that darn cat has clearly been remastered but compared that to yeah. the tat on youtube that i watched for wrestling women versus the aztec mummy it may, it really put it into perspective the levels of quality that you could have had in film during those days. Yeah, and I don't feel like there's that kind of big gap in quality difference with even the worst quality films now compared to the big blockbusters. Yeah, well, there's a, every so often you'll see those like mini films that are made on an iPhone and they look just as good as a professional setup, don't they? So mm. yeah, I agree with you on that one. I just thought it was fascinating. And also, The Wrestling Women versus The Aztec Mummy was a fucking great film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll check it out sometime soon. Watch out! There he is! Oh! It's coming at Christmas time from Walt Disney. It's Walt Disney's hilarious new comedy motion picture, That Darn Cat. Yes, watch out when this cool cat on his nightly neighborhood prowl happens in on this hapless victim of a kidnapping held captive by this fumbling pair of riotous rat finks. And be on the watch for a watch that's loaded with intrigue when that darn cat gets tagged with a timely SOS for help. Then watch out for the wildest when it's Haley Mills who gets the message. DC's wearing a wristwatch. When she collars that flabbergasted FBI man, Dean Jones. When she clobbers romance for Dorothy Provine. I want my duck! Then Haley goes underground to become a self-appointed super agent for the FBI. Touching off the giddiest game of gumshoe a go-go that ever bugged the trail of an undercover cat. That darn cat. Then stand by for action when she kibitzes with the chief of federal security. Kelso, I want you to set up a surveillance and tail this cat. Tail the cat? 
Right, yeah, so That Darn Cat, as you said, made in 1964, uh, released in 65. I was very uh, anxious about the fact that it was a runtime of an hour and 56 minutes. which puts Yeah, I clocked that as well. That put it on the longer end of things. And uh, on this podcast, we tend to find a bit that the longer the film, the worse it is. But we'll we'll see what we think on that. Um, most important question that everybody is definitely here for, Mark. I need to, as our feline uh, consultant to the show, we need to establish, before we carry on, the cat in this, DC, where does he stand compared to the cat from outer space on the catometer? I mean, he is a very nice kitty. I liked him <laughs> a lot. But I think I think I liked the cat from outer space just a little bit more. I think he was a bit cuter. But all cats are cute and don't make, don't make me judge them. <laughs> to be honest, on my catometer, I quite liked that this film, I think it was just the, the format of the film, in this one the cat doesn't talk. And that kind of clinches it for me because then all the personality is literally coming from that real life cat doing real life things. And I found the cat in this film, DC, the darn cat. I quite liked that this one. Oh, he was lovely. A little bit naughty, but lovely. <laughs> well, that as well. I think I like a bit of a rebellious nature in an animal. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I like a naughty kitty. They're, they're, they're just so cute. As long as they're not mean, naughty yeah. is okay. Yeah. So, yeah, shall we get stuck in then? Yes, let's go for it. Let's talk about cats. So, we start with um, a cat that gets kicked out of its house. And it, this is a, it's a Siamese cat with lovely blue eyes. And we get we start off pretty strong with a good little bit of slapstick visual comedy where this cat manages to fool a dog so that the cat can steal this dog's food. And it, then we get the beginning of the credit start as the dog, a brilliant shot of the dog barking. And as he's barking, um, animated out of his mouth come the words, that darn cat. And I thought that was a pretty, uh, pretty nifty way to start your credits. Yeah, I really enjoyed the clever kitty outwitting the dumb pooch. Yeah, and, it's not uh, that I don't like dogs. It's just that I really like cats. Yeah, we've ne- we've yet to really do a dog film on this podcast. We've got that to come, I think. Oh, there was one that I did want to watch that um, I remember from being a kid. I can't even remember what it's called, but I know it's Disney. But the majority of the film is a bloke in a sheep dog suit. Do you know what that one is? Is the plot that it's a man in a suit, or is it no. literally? Oh, right. Okay, so it is a man in a. Yeah. Okay, I honestly don't know that one then. I'll look it up and I'll let you know, because we might have to do that. I I was going to ask you, there's got to be a way to find out what it is. Maybe even if I just Google Disney film with man in the dog suit. In fact, shall I do it now? Keep keep talking to Yeah, so we've got the opening credits and 
It's another Hayley Mills film, which I didn't realise until we started. Obviously, we've watched The Parent Trap on the podcast before, and it was all right. We get a brilliant song over the credits, um, again by our mates, the Sherman Brothers, and it's almost like a Rat Pack-style musical number, basically about that darn cap. While the city sleeps, every night he creeps, just surveying his domain. He roams around like he owns the town. He's the king, he makes that plain. He knows every trick, doesn't miss a lick when it comes to keeping fat. Some city slicker, no one is quicker than a bad Don Cat. It pegs him as this cool city slicker and throughout the credits we see all these funky shots of it like rooting round in the bins, knocking people's plates over in their kitchens, um, leaving paw prints um, on top of people's cars and stuff and it's quite a, it's, it's a promising start for this film. Yeah, I think so. And um, what, I, what I did notice on the credits is that Galen from the uh, Planet of the Apes is in it, and that made me happy. Ah, right. Um, Roddy McDowell. Ah, right. Roddy McDowell. Yes, he, um, he's he been cre- creeping up on the quite a few things we've watched. Um, in fact, he was also in The Cat from Outer Space, if you remember. He was. And I mentioned that Galen was... from the Planet of the Apes was in that as well. <laughs> yeah, because he, um, he was the Russian spy or the spy for the Russians in, mm. uh, in that wasn't he um, there's a lot of familiar faces in this film from other things that we've reviewed um, but yeah so as the credits finish um, DC ends up at the fishmongers and we see a, a, a fellow buying some tuna steaks and he leaves but as he leaves then this sort of uh, down tempo kind of baddie music starts so we know straight away that this is supposed to be our bad guy and because he's got a bag full of stinky fish, uh, DC follows him. Yeah, it was a little bit, this is your bad guy. But I don't really have a problem with that. It's a kid's film, I've got to remember. Films need shorthand to say, like, this is your bad guy, just get on with it. And I, I was happy to do that, because as you say, it is a kid's film at the end of the day. Yeah, um, We'd seen the pretty boy cat, and we'd seen that he got a pretty girl cat. And so we know that the film's about a cat, and now we've got a bad guy. Which, again, when you think it's a nearly a two-hour film, that was pretty kind of succinct. And you think, how much plot is in this film if they're doing that? Yeah, speaking of, I was pretty surprised. Um, I've not got as many notes as I was expecting because it's not a particularly convoluted plot. Um, So it, it... it didn't necessarily need to be as long as it did, but it did give it the film a bit of breathing room, I thought as I was watching it. But we'll talk yeah, about that again at the end. Um, yeah, I think there's something to discuss at the end about whether or not, what, maybe about 25 to 30 minutes of the film could have been cut. <laughs> well, they could, but yeah, well, we'll talk at the end. Um, so we see that this guy who um, DC's following, he goes up to his flat and there is another fella in there. And we know this guy's definitely a bad guy because he's got a gun holster on and... From the dialogue, we learn that these two have robbed a bank earlier that day, and we see them counting it and stuff. And it honestly, I know American money looks like bloody Monopoly money as it is, but this it looked like they'd been photocopied that morning. I thought the money, yeah, the, the money look did not look like money, the money looked like someone had printed, yeah, it was crap. And, <laughs> and I, I realized we're watching a film about 
a naughty cat that helps the police. But I struggled with suspension of disbelief at this point. The weird things trigger my suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And that money did that. I think, in all fairness, when they made it in the 60s, they weren't expecting us to rewatch it today in HD and be able to spot the money. Like, <laughs> True. And that's the thing. The restoration is excellent. If yeah, you're going to talk technical, technical stuff, it was glorious colour. And yeah, so that's kind of the price you pay, I suppose. Yeah, and some quite good sets in this as well that didn't need to be anywhere near as detailed. Like um, the way into this, these guys' flats, they have a direct door and it's kind of like this back alley with all these sort of like wooden rickety stairs that go up to the doorway and things like that. Like you could have just had a front door. Like we don't need... So there was there's, you could see that there was some care and money spent on this film. Yeah, where was this set? Um, somewhere in California from the beaches, because they, the main characters are into their surfing. Not that we see any surfing happen, but um, no. we're told a lot that they're into their surfing. And later on in the film, they watch a newscast where they show um all the California beaches and where where's best to surf. Mm. So I'm assuming either San Fran or maybe LA even. It's hard to tell, mm. but somewhere well, along that coast. I mean, somewhere like New Orleans, for example, has very, very distinctive houses. But for some reason, this reminded me of some of the more urban areas of um, New York. So if it's a big, if it's a big American city that isn't as distinctive as somewhere as New, like New Orleans, it was a nice little bit of attention to detail, I thought. Yeah, so they kidnapped the bank teller and we learned that um, they'd, the teller had told them that they put, should put a qu- quarter of a million dollars into this suitcase for them. But really, it was nearly, it was more like 160,000. So they're a bit pissed off with her, to be fair. And they're discussing what they're going to do with her because, you know, whether they should, um, you know, kill her or just keep her hostage for a little while. And there's this really weird, creepy little bit where one of them strokes her neck. But like, yeah, almost as if she's, he's like tickling where her Adam's apple should be. And it, yeah. I felt. Very uncomfortable in this. In yeah, this shock. I thought this scene was really quite icky. I thought there was very much a rapey overtone. Yeah, and um, which obviously fact- in a norm, in a in a in a more adult film would have worked great, but this is a Disney film and it doesn't fit with the rest of the film. That's exactly right. I felt like this was quite quite dark, even if it wasn't deliberately so. It really yeah. creeped me out a little bit, and the fact that he raises to her and threatened to punch her yeah. was pretty nasty she was defenceless and tied in a chair and that's well frankly that's torture that's not a fight that's torture and yeah. a torture threat and the creepy hands where she couldn't t- stop him from doing it it was yeah it definitely made me feel quite uncomfortable and then if it wasn't 60s enough the scene ends with them them telling her that she's got to do the cooking <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I realised that was very 60s and I was much more okay with out-of-date sexism than I was with threatens of torture and yeah. and quite rapey undertones. And obviously at the beginning you do want to establish that these are the bad guys, but at the same time they do go a little bit overboard with it. Yeah, it just felt that little bit 
dark for a Disney film. Yeah. But perhaps I don't think it was at the time. I think it was it was still crude, but I think it was wasn't something that people would have spotted as being problematic like we would now though. Yeah. It doesn't help that the 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 what I've what I've called the baddest baddie. Um <laughs> He was yes. He was the one with very, the gun. Yeah, he was. He's a beast of a man. He's really tall. He's very broad. He's got his hair slicked back. He's quite swarthy, and just he's a very ominous presence in this, in any scene in the flat. But also, as well, the flat itself is very small, so it makes him look bigger, especially mm. around this poor woman that's always um, sat down. But yeah, he's got a. He was a. Apart from this one particular scene. I quite liked this bad guy as a character. I thought it was quite dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. And then obviously it's a Disney film, so then your other bad guy has to be the good cop, or good bad guy, um, (laughs) who's a bit more soft (laughs) and really likes cats. (laughs) Which is, you know, perfectly normal to be utterly obsessed about cats. Yeah, so yeah, the cats... uh, DC's outside rattling the door and they get paranoid that there's someone that's chasing them and uh, but they let him stick around because the other guy as I said loves cats uh, the teller comes up with a plan where she takes her watch off and tries to scratch the word help in the back um, and then puts it on the cat as a collar so that when he goes home someone will see this this watch and know that someone's in trouble but um, she she doesn't manage to get enough time to put the P on the end so it just says hell and she then straps it to the cat and off the cat goes so the thing about this was I thought that was going to be a what are they, what's the message are they working this out but when someone finds it later on in the film oh yeah it means help so yeah. what was the point of it not just saying help I think it was just to show the urgency of the situation but I know what you mean I know what mm. you mean there um, so yeah, um, the, uh, DC then ends up going home, and uh, yeah, Haley Mills, who is the cat's owner, she's just getting home as well because she's just been out on a date with um, a guy called Canoe. Canoe. Yeah. Who calls their child Canoe? I, I mean, th- well, he's a hipster surf dude, so I'm pretty sure it's, it's a name that he'll have picked for himself. But even so, fucking Canoe. Canoe. That's not a name. Of no. a person, it's the name of a boat. It's, I don't know anyone called yacht. It's all, it's also re, he's re, clearly supposed to be quite pretend. Well, he looks pretentious by modern standards because uh, the whole time you see him, he's in the film. He's smoking a pipe, and he's only supposed to be like late teens, early twenties. Which so I think smoking a pipe was even pretty, you know, old fashioned by the sixties. To be honest. I think the pipe was just for the one gag where he opens his mouth in shock and the pipe drops out. Yeah, I think you Because there's right. no relevance to that pipe whatsoever other than that one pointless gag that wasn't very funny. It reminded me, because I'm binge-watching Mad Men at the moment as well. I don't know if you've watched Mad Men, but um, it really reminded me... Well, there's a character in it called Paul who he smokes a pipe the whole time, and that is a character cue of this guy is pretentious. And that was set in the 60s as well. So I think... I think it's it's just supposed to make him look a bit weird. Mm, I did like his car. Yeah, it's like kind of like a van, but made of all wood. It looks like a, it's like a nineteen twenties thing. So it's clearly a, an old banger, but it's quite quite nice in a weird way. 
Yeah, it's got wooden doors that open the opposite way to the way you think they would. <laughs> yeah. And then the front is basically just like half of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking, I want to have a go in that car just because <laughs> it's odd. There's quite a few good cars because then um, one of the characters who's coming up in a minute, he drives like a two-seater sports car as well. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of nice, at least interesting cars in a kind of retro way, these cars are classic cars now because yeah. this film is so old. Yeah. And uh, we get a joke about um, surf movies. And basically, they've been to the, the the movies and they've seen this surf movie and they can't remember what it was called. And wasn't it the same as the film that they'd seen the week before? And next week, they're off to see another surf movie. And I feel like I've seen this joke already recently i don't know if it was when we watched teen beach movie because that's all about surf movies it might have been on that um but i feel like i've heard this joke word for word in another film we've reviewed for the podcast but i can't remember which one wouldn't surprise me if disney did that and just basically had a list of if you want to fill if you want to surfing gag here's a list of gags like the you that know like resource used. at disney yeah that's probably it yeah they'll have a joke like library <laughs> mm. but yeah it was unless i've seen that particular because it was literally word for word i was like i'm sure i've heard this before um and then as they're they're having a chat and um canoe comes in after the date to have a sandwich um we we meet the next door neighbor who's a bit of a curtain twitcher uh, oh she's please. a right bellend i ate her <laughs> Basically, after every scene that occurs in this film, we then get to go to see the curtain twitcher who then comments on what's happening outside and her long-suffering husband then uh, getting annoyed at her as well. Played the, the, It was the same actress that plays Katie Nanner in, um, in Mary Poppins. So, oh, good grief. Every every other actor in this film is in something else big in the Disney. Because they were so known for just using the same actors for everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Nepotism. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but the, 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 a character like this woman is an absolute red rag to me. Anybody who has <laughs> got the time to be able to waste it on giving a monkeys about what anybody else is doing with their life and judging them on it needs a fucking hobby yeah. and in real life anyone who behaves like this is the worst kind of person to wind me up it's that hypocritical thing of like she's judgmental of these two girls that live next door to her she's obsessed with uh, she's judgmental of their sex life essentially but in doing they're so they're not having sex but they're not even having sex and more importantly Essentially, she has become obsessed with these teenage girls' sex life. And that's it's, wor that's worse. <laughs> it, oh, she's just a massive bellend and yeah. I can't I I can't stand people like that to the point where if there's a character like this in a film, I'm likely to dislike them more than I am the main antagonist. And I did that in this film too. Yeah, I can I can believe that because we're definitely coming back to the Mrs. Curtain Twitcher later on. Oh, she's oh, she, she's boiling my blood now, and I'm not even watching the damn film. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, the, as I said, 
Canoe's eating his sandwich and they're watching TV and on the news they announce about the robbery and we see the bank teller, which Hayley Mills' character says that she knows from having met her before when she'd been in the bank. Um, and so Hayley goes to bed. Canoe's going to go home because it's late. Um, there's a gag here. of the, re- the only reason he knows it's late is because he reads the watch on DC's collar, not even realising that it's a watch, and then goes home. So... Nobody even notices this bloody watch on the cat. Then Big Sis gets home and she's got a pervy boyfriend called Gregory who backs her up against the wall and go. he keeps going. He gets randy about this overcooked duck that his mum makes or some shit. And uh, basically he does this weird thing where he's talking about this, this meal that his mum cooks, but it's a euphemism for all the shagging he wants to do with um big sis and it gets it gets a bit much for me oh i found this scene really problematic the the thing that i particularly icked at if that's a word was um gregory was creepy as fuck and you could see that the the girl re- reacted well appropriately she was wigged out by his behavior and didn't like the, his sexual advances yeah. And then she wanted a kiss on the lips. Yeah, it's like as soon as that instance is over, she forgets and wants to be his girlfriend again and is happy and fine and it's all very odd. And then she breaks the fourth wall as well at this point because uh, Gregory kisses her on the forehead rather than the lips and she rolls her eyes at us, the audience. And this never happens again in the rest of the film. And I thought it was a very odd choice, to be honest. I just found the whole scene very, very 60s. Yeah. This was not unusual, stuff like this in 60s and 70s films, where women were just treated like this and didn't get traumatised or didn't get upset or didn't stand up for themselves This was just whatever. This was the norm. And it was fucking yuck to watch. Yeah, it was. Again, though, I don't want to get too super critical about this sort of thing because it was very much of its time and a five or six-year-old who was watching this for the kitty cats will not be bothered by, what, 25 seconds of something that made a right-on left-wing hippie like me a little bit wiggy. But that's the problem, though, Mark, isn't it? Because is it going to alter what that five-year-old's perception of wooing a woman is later in life you never know if we keep seeing these portrayals over and over again that's where the habit becomes formed really i hope not i hope that (laughs) our our generation's children will be better educated yes hopefully if that but that's reliant on the parents as well isn't it all listen to us we're like two old men a little bit Um, what, what i'm 41 what's your excuse yeah, I haven't got an excuse because I'm a I'm a youthful young um, thing. Millennial. <laughs> Millennials aren't young anymore. No, they're not really, and I love the boomer perception that you are. Yeah, it's because the treat is like we are. Anyway, well, it's not. It's not just that. It's because they still think that like fourteen year olds are millennials when they're not. No, that's true. They're... If it helps, I'd prefer to be hated on than completely and utterly forgotten, like Generation X seems to be. So what what do you class yourself as, a millennial or Gen X? Because you are right on the cusp. Well, because I'm right on the cusp, 
Um, there is a fucking write-on term that suits me that I, I, I get is a bit wanky. But um, I technically I'm Generation X. Yep. But there is a term for like maybe 1976 year of birth to maybe 1982 that is used by people like me. And that is Xennial. It means yeah. you're, you're, it means yeah. <laughs> it means that um, you share very very similar views with millennials, but you're completely fucked even more so by the boomers. Right. Not that um, I'm obviously putting my uh, flag on the flagpole there on which type of generation I'd like to be associated with. Hmm. Sure. Sure thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we get back uh, to the film? Yeah. Can I just say one last thing? Yeah. Go on then. Fucking boomers. <laughs> I okay boomered my dad on Facebook the other day. Good. <laughs> he, des- he, he clearly deserved it as a boomer. And um, he probably said something boomy that deserved an okay boomer. So DC, this is where we kind of get the impression that DC can understand human language because he's overheard this conversation with the with Big Sis and... Gregory about how his mum is cooking this duck. So DC then goes to Gregory's house to get the duck. Um and Gregory's house, he he also owns pigeons, so there's a big pigeon coop outside, which is important for later. And we get a brilliant another bit of slapstick of basically this duck heist where um DC again manages to uh outwit a dog to get this duck. And there's peppered throughout the film there are these great sort of visual bits of humour that work quite well. And I don't want to ruin them too much by explaining them too much because, you know, visual comedy never works when you explain it on a podcast or anything like that. And if you if you do want to watch this film, just just know that there's some good good little spits of slapstick throughout, I think. So he gets home. Gregory gets home, realizes the duck's gone. So his uh, his response is to chase DC off with a rifle and basically tells uh, Haley Mills that she needs to take care of uh, keep control of DC but she kind of says that DC's not her cat he's kind of a family animal oh I just more and more Gregory is an absolute bellend yeah and um the the animal stuff is excellent yeah and it's very very well done I think you were right in saying that um and I think the element of the cat understanding what people saying is a probably a cute little nod to the fact that pet people are a bit fucking weird about their animals <laughs> i assume a lot more intelligence of like my cat well no i don't actually i think she's thick but i i i, <laughs> I very you know what i mean i think you yeah almost personify your pet because you do know that animal a little bit more than any other animal i think that was a cute little nod to that but Chasing after a cat with a gun? I mean, Murica, obviously, but also <laughs> massive bellend. Yeah, and also, like, it's a cat being a cat at the end of the day. It's not like it's exactly. being a dickhead. Um, but then, yeah, um, Big Sis, uh, also, her name is Ingrid, uh, by the way, um, which we find out in this scene. Um, but she's pissed off. She's like, oh, shit, I'm not going to get to eat this duck now. Um, and Hayley Mills gives the cat milk, and it does my head in because you shouldn't give cats milk. But it happens in all the films. To be fair, they probably didn't know that cats were lactose intolerant in the 60s. Probably not. But it's that's... They probably just knew that cats like milk. Yeah. 
And cats always just leave really soggy, gross shits all over the place, don't they? That's normal. I mean, my cat doesn't. <laughs> my cat's a good girl. Mine too, because she doesn't oh, drink she's milk. She's beautiful. She, she's looking at me. <laughs> I don't know she's where. She's got a nice is. face. I've not seen mine all day. It's probably out stealing ducks off people. Maybe. Um, I think if Pasha could steal a duck, she would try and steal a duck. <laughs> yeah, so in this scene, uh, we learn that um, Hayley Mills basically thinks that Gregory's a creep as well. She says to her sister that you're walking into a trap. She refers to it as creeping matrimony, which I thought was a good term, um, where basically he's um, trying to woo her, but really like in a roundabout kind of way like he they carpooled to work but he traded his car in for a sports car so there were only two seats so nobody else could be carpooled apart from her and so creepy that's creepy isn't it and then as well like um Haley kind of accuses ingrid herself of being really desperate that she wants the attention of gregory as well um and then finally in this scene Haley spots the the watch um which is a really long time for them to have gone without bringing it up at all. Um, especially mm. since both of them have seen DC in multiple scenes by this point. Yeah, and Canoe had already spotted it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He didn't come back at anybody with that. But yeah, next day it's breakfast and Haley couldn't sleep all night because she's been thinking about the watch. And she she's up positive that it says help um, and that it must be, she assumes it must be this this bank teller. Um, and she says, I'm Which off to the Which is a bit of a jump, I thought. It is. It is a bit of a jump. And as you said earlier, like, our storytelling, our plot is is picking up quite a pace, considering it is a, such a long film. There's a lot of putting two and two together with not enough detail, but it kind of works, because the amount of films in this show that we have watched where they've bogged themselves down so much with trying to explain the plot, whereas this film's just like, Let's go. <laughs> and I really yeah. I really appreciated that in some sense. And then, yeah, so she says she's off to the FBI and then we go to the FBI. And Yeah, the security at the FBI was crap. <laughs> yeah, considering uh, who it is, it's basically they go into a reception and she sneak, manages to sneak past because um, yet again, Dean Sodding Jones is in a, this film. Uh, he was in The Cat from Outer Space. He was the million dollar dickhead. He was also in Herbie. <laughs> I'm getting sick of Dean Jones at this point. Or I would be if he was a, wasn't such a good actor. He's all right. He's fine. He'll um, do. Then Haley Mills, um, when she sees him pass, basically he's the he's an FBI agent, and she says to the receptionist that he's got a really nice face. And I was like, keep it in your pants, love. <laughs> but I was really worried because. There's a very, very noticeable, obvious age difference between the two actors, Dean and um, Haley. And when the very first thing she mentions about him is that he's got a nice face, I was very, very worried for a moment that we were going to end the film with them getting together. Um, so I did a bit of a Google to find out how old these two actors were. And um, at this point, um, Haley Mills was only 19 and Dean was... Um, 15 years older than that so right not the best but also you know by hollywood standards it's, it's kind well, of kind of what they did back then well i think the there it's always problematic in american films because they cast 
twenty somethings as teenagers. Yeah, and the I mean, fifteen years age difference isn't that yucky, really. I guess, but yeah, it because of the character being sixteen and the FBI agent character potentially being around thirty five, forty. That was much more icky because she was being put. She was playing a minor. I didn't catch that. I didn't hear any point when they said how old she was. I'm pretty sure she was supposed to be 16. I don't think she more was... than likely. Well, but wasn't yeah, she? Uh, wasn't she at school, or have I got myself confused with another film? Um, I can't remember. I don't know if I heard that either. But basically, she's young. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, she still is with her parents, but her parents are on holiday for the duration of this film, which they make a point of uh, reading out the postcards so that we're not spending the whole film thinking, where are these kids' parents? <laughs> yeah, that was a clever way of doing it, I think. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, she sneaks through to see the FBI agent and tarts herself up before she sees him, like undoes a few buttons kind of thing. Um, and she introduces herself to the agent and then basically just babbles on about this lovely cat she's got for a little while um, <laughs> before she gets to the point. And I thought, that's that's very cat owner, isn't it? <laughs> oh, very much so. Uh, I suspect the first thing you learn about me is that I've got a cat. Yeah, but she gets to the point eventually. She talks about the... You know, she she shows the watch and everything, and instantly the FBI agent believes her. And I I was dead excited by this because one of my least favorite tropes in um, all of cinema is when we as an audience know that somebody knows information and nobody believes them for ages, and it it it's just a time waster in a film usually. It's just yeah. to then come back to it later on. So I was really, again, at this point, I'm thinking, how are we going to have an hour and 56 minutes of film if every decision just happens straight away? <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, the boss, the FBI boss, he agrees um, as well with uh, Dean Jones and they agree to tail that cat. Um, and then... Sorry, yeah, and Dean James's character as well, he was called Agent Kelso, which was good to me because it reminded me of that 70s show. And he he announces that he's allergic to cats and hates them, but his boss is just like, tough titties, you're on the job. On the way home, Kelso tells Haley that um, she shouldn't tell anybody that he's an FBI agent because it could jeopardise the, uh, the success of the mission. So that means we're going to get a lot of... Uh, comical stuff later on where people don't know who he is mistaken identity lol yeah which starts straight away because then of course curtain twitcher sees Haley coming home with this other this new fella and assumes that they're shagging and they set up all of his equipment in ingrid's room and all his sort of fancy uh secret agent equipment essentially he's got like a briefcase that turns into a radio station and all of that Good, good bit of props. Big map as well. DC goes for him at one point, and they decide that they're gonna, for his records, they need to basically record DC in their notes as if he were a human being. Um, so they start by trying to take his photo, 
which kind of reminded me of like a really awkward like 70s erotic photo shoot because they're trying to like lay him <laughs> lay him out on the bed in a kind of nice pose <laughs> and then yeah we get the most catty thing ever which is they're trying to get him to stand up to have his photo taken and he just keeps flopping down and having being a cat person myself i was like yeah this is this is real life happening right here <laughs> Yeah, it is impossible to get a picture of a cat if a cat does not want you to get a picture of a cat. <laughs> and it's good because obviously, like, we're used to... If, you, if you've seen an animal in a film, it's tr- been trained to do exactly what they want it to do. And it even in that situation, it was just funny seeing this cat do whatever it wanted. And it made me wonder if, like, there's a lot of scenes that are like this coming up. And I wondered if they had some untrained cats that they used for this film. Yeah, maybe. Because there's a lot of the- bits where... it the cat is supposed to be misbehaving and I don't really know how you would is it possible to train a cat to not do as it's told? Hmm. Well, yeah, you just don't train it. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if they literally just found any old cat and filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some great cat stuff in this as well. So I think that I, I did. I looked up whether or not they use more than one cat for the cat from Outer Space, and I didn't on this. But I suspect they've got to have more than one. Yeah, cat, I would surely. have thought so. Yeah. But um, th- this scene did have the one questionable treatment of animals scene. Yeah. That was an inevitability, probably almost compulsory at this point in Disney. But um, again, I'm, I'm not. I don't think it hurts a cat to grab it by the scruff of the neck, but it. Isn't a pleasant experience no. for a cat. And I would never... I've, I've had cats for year, well, 12 years. And I would never, ever grab a cat by the scruff of the neck. No. But cons- all things considered, I thought this film was quite light on the animal cruelty. Oh, yeah. I agree completely. Because obviously and in it- um, Cat from Outer Space, we had a bloody... A clear depiction of a cat being sedated. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sedated for the betterment of the film. Yeah. And that was icky as fuck. There was nothing, anything like that. And this this thing with the scruff of the neck, again, in the 60s, it would not have been questioned ethically whatsoever. It no. was just the way you collected a cat. <laughs> cat collection protocol. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we get another scene, a bit of slapstick, where they're trying to get the cat's fingerprints, paw prints, essentially. Mm-hmm. And during this bit, we also have Canoe, who um, turns up at the door and Haley has to pretend she's sick because so, she can't reveal what the plan is with the FBI. We've learned that Kelso's got a full squad of men that are going to come on this first stakeout to follow, basically follow um, DC and see if he leads them to the crooks. See, I really found Canoe's behaviour very, very problematic here. Yes, I would agree. He's not a bad guy. No. Or at least he's not supposed to be a bad guy. He's definitely not supposed to be. Yeah, he's supposed to be perhaps a little bit hapless, maybe. But he's not supposed to be the baddie. But by modern standards, or at least my modern standards, like his insistence and his attempting to get him to force his way. Yeah into the house, putting his foot in the door. That's not okay. There is a theme that runs throughout the whole film, which is that all the men seem to believe they have a God-given right to entry to this house that isn't theirs. 
every single male character is constantly trying to force their way through that or pretty much break down that door. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really unpleasant. And I think, again, indicative of the times, but I absolutely feel like we have to highlight this every single time. Because yeah. if this was in a modern film, it would be absolutely panned to shit for it. Yeah. And I don't feel like we should be panning it because blah, 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 sign of the times, yada, yada, yada. But we have to highlight it as it was okay then, we're more enlightened now. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll constantly be having, yeah. like you were saying before, the validation thing for kids. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, again... This is a film that we both watched on Disney Plus, which is accessible to modern kids. And there's nothing yeah. on it that says that there are things in it that they shouldn't, they maybe should not be watching. Um, and it, and as I say, it's interesting how Disney makes these decisions where, like, thing films like One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, which is the most egregious film that we've watched for the podcast in terms of just absolutely racist and horrible and barely watchable, that's not on the service. But there's mm. always these underlying little things that are creeping into the films that they have decided are acceptable. But obviously it's nowhere near as bad as um, One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. But it's still... There. Oh, goodness, no. Have you have you ever watched that film? No, but I've listened to your episode about it, and I have no desire to, um, to justify, uh, endorse what happens in it. By by giving it a watch, you know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. It was entertaining, but also horrific. <laughs> oh, it was from what you said on that episode. I was like, "Fuck." Yeah. But anyway, back to this this film. Sorry, the crooks are confronted by their landlady, who says that they've seen another woman living there, so they've got to pay extra rent, and obviously she means the teller. And again, the it's the different crook this time, but he does this cre he touches the landlord's face during a conversation he's having with her. I don't know if you even know, mm. did you pick up on that. Yeah, I did. It's really. But I'm odd. trying not to emphasise absolutely everything that I found problematic in this film because <laughs> it is 55 years yeah, old. Yeah, I know, but it's just those are the things that stand out to me as a modern, as a person watching now, and it's the thing that I need to comment on. I feel, but yeah, then we we get back into the flat and the teller is playing solitaire. And it was at that point I realised this is kind of a lockdown movie. <laughs> we we can all sympathise with this poor woman that's uh, been trapped in this house for a week with nothing to do. Wow. <laughs> Imagine if your only source of entertainment today was just a pack of cards. Uh, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> at least we have the internet in these modern times. <laughs> quite yeah and then they the two bad guys they have a little hushed conversation about what discussing where they're going to dump the teller's body but she's listening in and panics obviously then we go back funny that yeah well you would wouldn't you (laughs) then we go back to the girl's house and yeah we're setting up for the evening's adventure Um, And again, Hayley Mills talks to um, Agent Kelso and says, you're very young for this type of job. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Stop it. (laughs) Um, Mm. And then the Twitcher sees um, the silhouettes of the pair of them in the bedroom window and decides that she's going to steal her husband's um, listening device for his hearing aid and attach it to a bloody fishing rod and listen to their conversation. But 
a fella comes out and tells her to fuck off, basically. Uh, <laughs> As yeah. he absolutely should. Because at that point, she's breaking yeah. the law. Oh, yeah, she absolutely is. And then, um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it annoyed me, but that was clearly lol, as opposed to any of the other problems we've had with the film. It's It's a very old-fashioned kind of trope of that couple where there's a long either a long suffering husband or a long suffering wife and they don't they hate each other and it's kind of it's very old fashioned and and a bit tired but in in this situation this guy this guy who's long suffering is absolutely justified because his his wife is just not well (laughs) yeah his wife needs to learn needlecraft or Watch she a needs bit a hobby, telly. definitely. Yeah. yeah, but often, like it can, when you look at old style situations, it can look a bit, a bit awkward as well. But this one, you absolutely understand. You can feel for this poor guy who's got to look. You know, he he's basically spending his whole time with this woman that's obsessed with watching the neighbors. So DC mm. pops out to the fish shop, and all the agents are following him. And then he arrives at the robber's place, uh, but he doesn't stay. He just carries on. So they never, the agents never find out that the robbers are there. Then Ingrid gets home and is like, what the fuck is going on? Why are all these people in my bedroom? <laughs> um, Seems legit. But then as soon as Agent Kelso turns around, she clearly fancies him. Um, so then I was worried that we were going to end up with like a big fight between the girls that were both going to fancy him. Like, <laughs> He's a handsome man. Oh, yeah, he's all right. I won't kick him out of bed. <laughs> then the agents follow DC to this house, which then they decide must be the robbers, and they burst in to find out that they've actually ended up trailing themselves all the way back to um, Haley Mills's house. Yeah, that was a fun gag. Yeah, I, I, I did like. I that. laughed out loud at that bit. Yeah. Uh, then the next day, Twitch is still twitching. Kelso's boss is mad at him because it obviously didn't go well. Um, and so basically removes all his resources. So Kelso's got to try again, but on his own. Um, and he comes up with the idea of bugging the cat's collar so that he can listen in to whatever the cat hears. And at this point, I thought, why wasn't that plan A? <laughs> also, he has all his resources taken away. And then he uses a really, really expensive resource. Yeah. <laughs> Make your mind up, Phil. But uh, yeah, Ingrid's worried that um, I've forgotten why. Oh yeah, she's worried that people will think she's a slag because uh, she's got this man in a bedroom. I can't really <laughs> remember the conversation. I only watched it today. But that's, it's not. That's the it's not phrased like that. Well, here. well, no. Obviously, it's a lot. Put, put a lot more <laughs> delicately. Um, but that's what I wrote. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so you bang on and you've made me giggle. But um, yeah, it's not phrased like. Yeah, so we get to see how this bug works because it's got a basically it's got a mic on the cat's collar and also a, a tracker, and we see that he's basically got a motion tracker from aliens that he can uh, he can follow the cat with. <laughs> imagine, imagine if someone did a read edit of uh, Aliens, but every time the alien turned up, it was just this cat. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch that. Oh yeah, and just getting their ankles licked. <laughs> Katie. Um, then Canoe comes back again and tries to come in. Kelso suggests that maybe they sh- uh, Haley should just go on the date with him as it keeps him away from, from the house. 
and uh, she's not necessary for the plan so they go on to the drive-in theater for a date and um there's a weird bit where um ingrid has been locked in a cupboard with the collar and so she's asked she's talking into the collar to get kelso's attention but kelso thinks it's dc talking which is a quite a good little gag again it was very it was very reminiscent of the uh the cat from outer space at that point (laughs) it's a very disney gag isn't it um and then they can't get her out of the closet so um kelso just leaves her in the closet whilst he goes out to uh follow the cat and for some reason the cat heads to the drive-in with with the kids um yeah which again breaks the whole plot line of following the cat's routine to be able to find the criminal yeah it goes a completely different route to what it has done on the previous two nights but again we it does lead us into some fantastic bits of slapstick this scene oh it um, does there's some very good slapstick i would never yeah. i would never say that the slapstick is not is bad in this film it's very funny yeah this bit kelso goes too deep undercover i i decided because the basically the owner of the drive-in asks him what he's doing creeping around the drive-in and rather than say i'm an fbi agent and i'm chasing a criminal or whatever he lies and says that he's like a health inspector or some shit and obviously the drive-in owner doesn't believe him so starts following him but then obviously it leads to some brilliant slapstick as they're all chasing each other um things get thrown about cats get chucked in and jumped on roofs and shit and it's it's pretty good oh yeah the slapstick's brilliant but you're right he had literally used his fbi agent badge to get out of a load of shit yeah about 20 minutes earlier and it was used as a sonic screwdriver yeah and (laughs) It's not used as a sonic screwdriver the second time. And I'm like, just show... I've written in my notes. Just show him your fucking badge. Yeah. But I'm glad... In a, in a, it's annoying plot-wise, but I'm glad he didn't because it led to a brilliant scene. And you're right that it's completely... It's completely away from the plot. But we needed to get away from the plot at this point. We needed some fun. And it works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. You are right. On yeah. Um, and then after here, um, DC goes to Gregory's house where he's eyeing up the pigeons and let, nearly lets them out. And Gregory is pissed, so he comes out with his rifle again. And Ugh. But then also Gregory sees Kelso, who he assumes is some kind of weird stalker creep. Um, so there's all of that going on. And Gregory chases Kelso into Haley's house. And then they have this big confrontation, the girls and Gregory on the stairs with the rifle and how Gregory should get out of their house. But he's storming in to get Kelso and it's all just not good. It's absolutely abominable. This man wants this woman to be his girlfriend. Yeah. And he barges his way into her home uninvited with a fucking shotgun threatening to kill her pet. Yeah. What an absolute load of utter tripe. What a bellend this man is. No self-respecting woman would give him a second look ever again. But... For charging into her home with a fucking shotgun. But I am so thankful because Ingrid 
agrees with us at this point because she basically yes. says because he's saying he finally finds uh, Kelso and tells her that she's got to explain what's going on and she just turns around to him and says basically we don't need to explain anything to you because you're a miserable prick now fuck off out my house and, yeah absolutely and I was right behind her on that I was so happy get out of my home you patronising fuck she's much better off without him yeah and really, um, I'm sure she didn't, but she should. She would totally have booted within her limits to have called the police because he w- wandered into her house with a shotgun. She totally oh, should have done. Fuck yeah, get and a restraining it's played order. So the thing is, again, I, I wonder how much this is Murica and how much this is sixties because it's played as if it's kind of normal that you just wander into someone else's yeah. home with a fucking shotgun. Yeah. The gun isn't really acknowledged. He stood on the stairs brandishing a gigantic gun. If someone was in my home with a gigantic gun, I'd probably have shat myself yeah, that's regardless point. of whether or not I knew them. Yeah, that's something I hadn't thought of. The girls do not react to the gun at all, do they? Whatsoever. They hmm. yeah. is, is this us being British people don't really see many guns? Or is this, <laughs> or is this being 2020s people, this is a different time? Or... I, I I just this scene really kind of made me think. Fucking hell! I'm very yeah. British. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. Kelso, obviously, two failed attempts in a row. He's now off the case because he's not getting results. Um, and Ingrid suddenly gets really flirty with Kelso in this scene. Um, and I'm guessing it's basically well, I've cut my losses with Gregory, who's the next male in the vicinity. <laughs> uh, right, okay. Problematic from a um, women's kind of depiction of women kind of um, standpoint, but that's exactly how I behave after a breakup. Yeah. Throw myself at the nearest person that I might be able to get in their pants. And to be fair, so, he, I don't know. at this point, he's the only nice person in the whole film that they've interacted yeah. with. So it's understandable. But it's just a very big juxtaposition of broken up with one, straight in with the next. Then Haley's like, well, we need to, decides that, you know, if the case isn't going anywhere, we need to get more evidence. What she actually means is we need to forge some evidence. <laughs> oh, Yes. So we get a scene where she goes to the ju- jewellers that she knows and convinces them to let her ring the FBI from their phone and say that she'd sold this watch to the bank teller. And it's um, the jeweller is played by the late, great Edwin, Disney uh, legend that he is. I love his voice. It's just so campy and so Disney. Yeah, he was the original Tigger. He was in... Mary Poppins, he was the uncle on the ceiling. Uh, he's the Mad Hatter as well. The only thing I thought was, Edwin is a very big, very over-the-top character. And I think sometimes he doesn't fit the film if it's not big enough. Yeah, it was adorable. But it was... it was. I've, I've, I've put him in my notes as, what the fuck, jeweller? <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. He's he's renowned for his ad-libbing and not following the script. And I think you can see this quite well in this scene because basically Hayley, uh, Hayley Williams? That's from Paramore. Hayley yeah. just stands in the corner and lets him be Edwin for a bit. And then the film carries on afterwards. 
Yeah, he could have. His lines could have been cut in half, and it still would have made sense. Yeah, because he's just making it up as he goes along. But it's it's always nice to see him. But it it was a bit over the top for this particular film, I thought. But then, like at the end of the day, it's a film about a cat that stops a bank robbery. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, then so obviously the FBI are back on the case. We go back to the robbers, and the teller is getting desperate, so she sets fire to the kitchen to try and escape, but it doesn't work. But basically that then causes the robbers to have the decision that they must off her if she's going to be a liability now. And the money is left open with a fan pointed at it and blows everywhere. A bit like the crystal maze, I thought. Yes. And and it's, it's it was cute. It was quite contrived, but it was cute. Yeah, it was all right. But then the landlady knocks and they're desperately trying to get all the money back in the box because the landlady could smell smoke from the kitchen um, and there's a good mm. bit she'd said earlier on that they owe her extra uh, $20 extra on the rent and uh, a $20 bill floats down from the light fitting and I thought that was quite a little good little joke <laughs> then the landlady um, warns them that her sister is visiting from Corona yes I did spot that <laughs> how apt <laughs> yeah um then we go back home. It's 9pm, which uh, we forgot to mention, but that's the time that the cat always goes out. And we've got Kitty. a full FBI team, including the boss, who have come in for this um, final job. And Canoe calls from a phone booth, and he's dressed very suspiciously in like a big coat and a floppy hat. Um, basically, he still suspects Haley must be cheating on him, um, even though they went on a date the other night, but whatever. Oh, he's, he's such a bellend. Yeah. So we're at a point now where we've got the FBI, we've got the robbers, we've got the cat, we've got... And then we've also got... What's his name? Canoe, all out snooping around. Haley nearly steps in it by mentioning the fact that... The, she she mentions the jewellers without being told by the FBI. And I thought this was going to come yeah. back and she'd get reprimanded for it, but it's never mentioned again. Like, they... Right, he- Here's the thing, right? So she has deliberately lied yep. to the police. Yep. And it does eventually mean that they catch the bad guys. Yep. Even so, she sh- if they'd have found out, would she have been prosecuted? Probably. I mean, she'd have gone to prison. That's what I'm saying. If it turns out that her hunch was right and she actually helped, which it did in this film. Yeah. Would they still have prosecuted it? Because it does feel like, I don't know, it's it's a pretty bad example to be setting kids that if you think you're more, if you think you're right, rather than over an adult who is in a position of authority, find a way round it. It's a bit... It's yucky. exactly like the cat from outer space. The moral of that film was put every single penny that you've earned onto a gamble and you will win. That was the... Oh, and cheat. And, Don't and forget. cheat when you're doing it. So there's this weird thing in the Disney films of the 60s and 70s where there was just completely amoral. Immoral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Do whatever I've, it I've takes about that. to win. I mean, in the end of this, she does some good by lying to the FBI, but she still lies to the fucking FBI. I wouldn't lie to the FBI. She got some balls, that girl. She got more balls than Canoe. He's a bear. Oh, absolutely. I'm probably. I don't like Canoe. I don't like Gregory. I don't like the old 
busy She's probably got more balls than DC as well, because I'm assuming he'll have had his removed. Oh, poor kid. Oh, no. No, he hasn't, as we know at the end. <laughs> oh, that's, no, that's true. Spoilers, Tim. Soz, well, yeah, well, I've got to, you know, prove that I know what I'm talking about. I don't know. That's more important than spoilers. <laughs> Uh, so yeah canoe is also spiraling on agent kelso and then the curtain twitcher sees all this commotion so of course she has to go out as well and her husband reports her as a prowler to the police and says that she's a man um dressed as a woman which mm, yeah mm, mm. i see i thought you'd pick up on that yeah that's the thing i'm not offended i have lots of trans friends and it's. It was played as a gag from an yeah, angry yeah. bloke getting revenge on his wife. I, I, there was no hate. No, I, I agree. And I think that's. I think that's the important thing. Is sometimes it's outdated, but when there's clearly no hate, no, I, I think we can say no foul on. No, I, no, I agree on that one. No, I, I think that's fine. Um, and yeah, and then we get shitloads of slapstick shenanigans at this point which was brilliant yeah. and again it's i won't go into detail because it's worth watching and it feels like a decent payoff for everything that's been built up even the curtain twitcher as much as she's done our head in she gets a comeuppance at the end yeah we've invested an hour and 35 minutes of our time at this point yeah it needed to be that everybody gets everybody culminates at one point Everybody gets their comeuppance. Thank you very much. End of film. And regardless of whether or not you think it could have been a bit more concise before this, I do feel like the last few minutes of the film were pretty fucking good, actually. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, eventually DC does end up at the robber's flat, um, and they, he, the cat himself stops the robbers from killing the teller by jumping on them, um, but they find the bug in his collar. Kelso arrives and pretends that he's just a neighbour that's lost the cat and everything, and then obviously the, Kelso and the baddies get into a fist fight whilst the other baddie is uh, trying to escape with the money. But basically, as you expect, everything is wrapped up and everything is a happy ending. Um, at this point, though, I did wonder, as an FBI agent, why Kelso wasn't armed himself. Like, he goes into this yeah. he goes into this uh, bad guy hideout and he hasn't got a, a sidearm. And, and we have established that this is a world with many guns <laughs> as random blokes. Yeah can walk into some girl's house with a fucking shotgun. Why, he could have even knocked on Gregory's door and said, you know what, can I just borrow that? I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- th- good point. I hadn't clocked that, but now you've said it, I'm like, fucking hell, he's yeah. fine. Um, final scene, we go back to the house and Gregory still turns up for carpool the next day and Ingrid's just like, fuck you, I'm with Kelso now and gets into Kelso's car and drives off. So apparently they're a couple now. Yeah, fuck you, Gregory. You deserve that. You're a bad. I'm, I'm absolutely happy with that conclusion, though, because Gregory needs to get fucked. Um, yeah. Then Canoe turns up and gives it the whole, oh, I'm really sorry that everything happened. And by the way, I was following you last night, but we need a happy ending. So Haley Mills just says, all right. And they're still fine with each other. I don't know. It, it does go in quite deeply into how Canoe has learned and he pledges to yes. be better. Yes. And I think as a redemption arc, it's it's limited and it's quite simple, yeah. simplistic. Yeah. But it is a kid's film and 
I guess he's younger than Gregory, so yeah. he should be given an opportunity to make more mistakes. Yeah. So I'm 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 not particularly uncomfortable with it. Canoe has been a bellend, and he promises to be less bellendy. And if he sticks to that, then maybe he does deserve a second chance. He was less of a bellend than Gregory, yes. and he didn't have guns. The other thing as well is, like, in his defence, Haley Mills was acting very suspiciously as well. Like, obviously, he didn't. He was not given access to all the information of what was happening. Which is fair. Yeah, the way um, he behaved still wasn't acceptable, but no. he acknowledges that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all right. It's not the best ending. I would prefer that they didn't get back together, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Then the Twitcher gets returned to her house by the police and says, you might as well hang around because I'm about to murder my husband. So that was a pretty good joke. Then we get our, our final shot, which is we get another little sting of the Sherman Brothers theme tune and we see the, the cute attractive female cat from the beginning comes out of a cat flap and is followed by lots of little kittens so they must be DCs because he's shagging around end of film the, you see the cat family at the end was completely and utterly unnecessary to the plot but I really liked it because oh, yeah, cat me family too. and kittens and oh it was lovely in uh, if that had been made more recently, that would have been the uh, the teaser set up for the second film of the franchise. That <laughs> was there. A, I don't think there was of that darn cat too. Was there? There was just the remake. It would be that those darn kittens. <laughs> oh, it would as well. That could be a Disney Plus one. <laughs> have you watched Lady and the Tramp? No, I've I've no interest in watching it. I'm afraid. Me too. And it was massively, massively pimped as this is what we get for Disney+. Plus. But Once Bitten, Twice Shy and The Lion King was good. Yeah. But the original Lion King was exceptional. So why would I watch slightly duller, weirdly odd versions of films that I already think are fucking brilliant? I know I am a cat person, but... I'm just not bothered about dogs in general. Like, a film about dogs does not grab me. And I'd seen Lady in the Tramp a few times as a kid, but it's never been one of my favourites. So for that reason, I've not had any reason to go and revisit it in a in a remake or anything like that. Well, Lady in the Tramp was a favourite of mine as a kid. Right. And that's why I it was even on my radar. But Lion King is my favourite film. Oh, yeah. In all of Disney ever, ever. So the remake was good, but it was just slightly less impressive voice actors, slightly less impressive singing, and slightly weird CGI. If The Lion King didn't exist, it would be an excellent film. But The Lion King exists, so what's the point? And I think Lady and the Tramp and any of the other remakes, for any fans of the originals, I just don't see why people want to watch them. My favourite thing about The Lion King remake is... The entirety of the song Can You Feel the Love Tonight takes place in broad daylight. Oh, that's dumb, isn't it? Isn't it? No one ever noticed. And they released that as a film. Huh. Anyway. So, that darn cat. We have reached the end. We have. What, what, what were your final thoughts on the matter? So, when I pressed play and it said 1 hour 56, I was like, here we go. Um... It didn't feel like it dragged much. 
it did feel like maybe, even though it had some of the best fun slapstick, they could have probably not had the second scene of this, the second night with the cinema. But it didn't really matter because the slapstick was fun. And I enjoyed it. I did. I did like that film. Good. Um, I agree. I think, considering how long it was, I, I agree that it didn't really drag. Because the plot itself was quite simple. And it didn't... Rather than complicating the plot overly, instead it just decided for like 10 minutes at a time let's just not bother about the plot let's just have something happen that's fun and i liked that mm. um, more than if it was just overly convoluted um so i thought the acting was really good i thought the script was quite well written there was, as well as the slapstick there were some quite good dialogue and wittiness here and there um as you said earlier as well visually it's you know it's it's a lot of just interiors and but the exterior stuff with the cat going out on about on town um the sets look really good and i can't to be honest there wasn't much to not like in this film i thought yeah i think that's fair i think it was a lot of fun it's you know it's not the kind of film that um i will ever watch again <laughs> but um i it was fun and it had a cat in it what more did i expect for a film from Disney in the 1960s. Yeah, and considering some of the shit that we have watched for this podcast that's from the same era, I think this stands up very, very well. So, Tim, I've looked up the film I was talking about before, oh, yeah. the Man in a Dog yeah. Suit. The one I remember was the sequel called The Shaggy D.A. Oh, yeah. Um, but the original was called The Shaggy Dog, and that was a black and white film from the 50s. Right. Have you ever done a 50s film and or a black and white Disney film? We have not, but that will definitely be on the radar soon. Th do you want it? I think we might have to at some point. I Can I do absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> as, our, as our feline consultant, what, what would your job title be now that if you're branching out into dogs as well? Feline consultants, open bracket, what quite likes dogs too close brackets yeah all right that's fine i'll put it on you make sure you put it on your cv from now on <laughs> uh, so how many gems are you going to give it out of 10 remember you can go decimal if you want so if you remember i think i gave um cat from outer space seven but took two off because it had animal cruelty yep. in it so I think a fair score for this, because I didn't like it quite as much as The Cat from Outer Space, but it didn't have animal cruelty in it. So I think a fair score is a six. Okay. Oh, I'm I'm torn. I don't know if I don't know if I'm partly biased about the fact that we've I've gone so long since I've had to review a film for this podcast that I feel very refreshed. I feel like maybe that's giving me a positive attitude because Okay. You know what? I'm going to give it a seven. I was I was umming and That's hour. a respectable yeah. score then, yeah, isn't it? I, d I would recommend watching this film, to be honest. Especially, the, the thing yeah. is as well, this is the first time that we have recorded an episode in a post-Disney Plus world for the UK. So having these films available so easily does change their watchability, I think. Because yeah. obviously, like, if the only way for me to watch this was to pay for it on Amazon or 
you know, order the DVD and wait a week for it to come and have to pay money in that way, maybe maybe I wouldn't recommend it. But because it can be broadcast straight into your household and so many of our listeners will have Disney Plus, I'd say I'd say watch it. So you think that Disney Plus has basically changed the outlook of your entire podcast? It may easily do. I think you're I think you're right. I um I found out the the dog film by looking on Disney Plus while we were talking. And I have rinsed Disney Plus during this lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been watching as I say a lot of Mad Men, which I think I would be rinsing in it a lot more Disney Plus if not for that. But anyway. Mm. Well, I've I've gone through all of Marvel's Agents of Shield. I've gone through all of Runaways. But I've also watched a lot of The Simpsons and Gravity Falls is fucking sublime. Yes, mate. We've been watching Gravity Falls, which is the first time we've ever watched it. And it is so freaking funny. I can't believe it. Yeah, me too. First time I've watched it as well. And and then I watched That Darn Cat, which was better than I expected it to be, to be honest, as well. Yeah. So, you know, woo Disney Plus, got it for 50 quid for 12 months. That's a bargain, really. I've had nearly 50 quid's worth in the first month and a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, again, Mark, it's been absolutely ace talking to you. I've really enjoyed this. I, I, I mean, I like talking about cats and I like talking about film and I like you. So what I suspect I was always going to enjoy it. <laughs> Me too. I've been looking forward to this all week. So thank you very much. And thank you for picking a decent film for a change. That's always good. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, Thanks for having me, man. So where can people find you on Tinterweb? Oh, all over the place. My general Twitter is MarkAdamsHC, and that's also my Instagram. My shows on the We Made This Podcast Network are Don't Say the C Word at Don't Say the C Pod, Life's Milestones at Life's Milestones, and Shipwrecks and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast at Red Dwarf Pod. Brilliant. And thanks again. So, yeah, my... Where can people find me? I, I, I don't know why, but I always stumble on talking about myself. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TimblesRH and the official Twitter for this podcast is at PodWam. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook by searching at Without a Mouse and we're also on Instagram at Without a Mouse. So that's it for another week. Oh, shit. I've forgotten who's on next. I should probably have checked that before we started recording. <laughs> I mean, you could edit it or leave it in for the lols. Yeah, fuck it. I don't know what's next. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Without a Mouse is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Logo by Chris House. Theme tune by Ether Orr. Previously on the We Made This Network. By Projection Light. No Orchids for Miss Blandish has an interesting history, to say the least. Upon its release in 1948, critics and audiences were scandalised by the subject matter, most notably the relatively graphic violence and open portrayals of sexuality. A bartender is smashed in the face with a glass jug, a man is beaten to death, and another two are shot in the space of about 15 minutes. As to portrayals of sex, there's a scene between Jack LaRue and Linda Travers, 
coupe Slim and Miss Blandish respectively, where LaRue slides his hand into Trevor's cloth robe and cups her breast. Unsurprisingly, where the film wasn't banned, it smashed box office records. Don't say the C word. If you go and see like a polar bear or a grizzly bear in a zoo, you tend to see them do something. Whereas the pandas were just sitting there being cute. Have you ever seen the Sopranos? No, actually. Maybe I should do that during lockdown. You should. One, it's the best TV show I've made. But also, pandas are kind of like a lot of the characters in the Sopranos. Because they just spend most of that show sat there doing nout and eating. But it's still somehow amazing. That's pandas. If I were to see them, I don't want to see them through bars or through glass. I want to get in there with them. This is a genuine question I don't know. Would a panda maul the fuck out of you? Or would oh, it yeah. be... Well, no, it, not me, but you, absolutely. <laughs> right, so obviously I'd be behaving like an idiot. Is there a way to stop a panda mauling you? Punch it in the face, really hard. Don't punch a panda. Make it so. And either way, we don't really know exactly where Saru is, but we know Landry is with Lorca 100%. And so then that even creates a larger disconnect for Burnham that she's coming on the ship where people are loyal. And so she really is the outsider. We get a little dissonance with Stamets because he's like, well, this is science. And doesn't want to be involved in the war, per se. But... We get that Burnham is this complete outsider on every turn that she makes. And I think Landry's important with that because she is so devoted and loyal to Lorca. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. Mm-hmm.